This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's Monday, and guess where I am, OG? Uh, on an aircraft carrier. Well, I'm very close to one. I actually drove by a bunch of them, Doug. Thank you, OG. I drove by. <laughs> I can't, I can't keep track OG. of where you are. On the way here, I am in Virginia Beach, but uh, we just did an event last night in a city that I'm told that I can't pronounce, but I know people in my family try to pronounce it. And if you're not from here and you don't get it right, you just sound pretty stupid saying Norfolk. You sound like you well, said something pretty, pretty, you said a bad word that mom does not like. Right. Well, and the, I'm and, no expert, know, town, but it does sound incorrect. That town is everywhere, right? There's there's a N O R F O L K in lots of places, and if you go further up the coast, when we go further up the coast, we're going to be very close to the the Massachusetts version of that, where they don't pronounce the R or the L, so it's Nafuck, like Nafuck, <laughs> Nafuck. At least in Virginia, they say they are. We're going to get an explicit rating saying city names. Yeah. Maybe federal credit is like, nope, we don't want this promo. Is this this the salute to the troops? Is this really what we're doing? (laughs) Are we we saluting them? On behalf of the men and women of Navy Federal Credit Union and the men and women making shows here in the basement, we do want to have a big shout out to the troops because it's a tough time around the world and you're all keeping us safe. So here's to you. Let's go stack some Benjamins together. Uh, hey everyone, just a reminder to tell Joe's mom she looks like she lost weight because I accidentally parked on the grass again. Hey guys, mics are hot. Quiet on the set. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I hope you're contemplating your death, because today, we're beginning with the end in mind. It's an idea made famous by the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey. Not contemplating your death, you know, the other one. Today, to talk about furthering your legacy, we welcome his son, the author of Trust and Inspire, Stephen M. R. Covey. In headlines, changes in your life coming? Maybe time to dust off the financial plan. And later, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Sasha with a question about taking over your parents' business. And now, two guys who you can trust, outcome not guaranteed, your results may vary, to help you in your financial future, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And a happy Monday to you. I am Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And what a glorious week this is going to be 
for two reasons. Number one, Stephen M.R. Covey coming down to the basement. I'm super excited about that. But second, because again, I get to virtually sit across the table from Mr. OG. How are you, man? I thought you were going to say it was because the uh, Final Four weekend is this weekend. How about that? It's just everything good. All this goodness wrapped into one. So let me just get this straight, Joe. What you're really excited about is that you're not actually across the card table from OG. (laughs) It's that you're virtually across the table. That's why it's glorious. Like angels are singing. There's bluebirds (laughs) flying around. They're like butterflies are weaving flowers through your hair just because you don't have to (laughs) smell his breath. It's a beautiful day here in Virginia. Okay. As long as we're clear. About 1,000 miles away, 1,200 miles away. Now, we got a fantastic show, and OG, oh, you're right. Uh, your bracket holding up? Uh, my eight-way parlay from last weekend still has got some legs, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy needs new shoes. Come on. Come on, Texas Tech. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that explains why OG is wearing that shirt unbuttoned down to his navel and the big gold chains. He just sounds like some greasy Vegas gambler. We got Stephen R. Covey waiting in the wings. I can't wait to talk to him. But first, we got a... Great headline, but even before that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? You want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Stephen M. R. Covey coming down to the basement to talk about trusting and inspiring the people around you. So let's get this show started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Investment News and our friend Mary Beth Franklin. Mary Beth writes, tax planning for new retirees, OG. The shift from having taxes withheld to making estimated tax payments can be challenging for people entering retirement. Mary Beth writes that retirement brings lots of changes, freedom from work, freedom to do what you want and try new things. But for some new retirees, The biggest adjustment to life after work is how to pay their bills without steady income from a paycheck and how to estimate how much they'll owe in taxes without the convenience of automatic withholding. You know, it's funny. We talk a lot here about putting money into your retirement plans. 
obviously Mary Beth pointing out that tax time can be a little difficult, making sure you're withholding, but just the whole idea, OG, of taking money out of the market during a volatile period like today. You talk a lot about being in stocks. Man, a bad time to be in stocks is when you need the money right now. How does that work? How do you start scaling back from stocks so that you can safely take money out during those early retirement years? I, I just don't think that you do. I think that you have a preset amount of volatility that you're okay with, keeping in mind that the average inner year decline is roughly 14%. What I mean by that is, you know, you start on January 1, stock market goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up. And on average, on December 31, it's finished up 10, right? Like that's what we all agree is the number. But along the way in that year, from that peak to, you know, one of those valleys was on average a minus 14. So if you can't sustain a minus 10, minus 12, minus 14 in your portfolio, uh, then you shouldn't be investing in stocks. I mean, it's just that simple. You know, you have to figure out a a new way because average, you're going to have that uh, happen on an annual basis. So what we tell people or suggest to people is you need to take a portion of your portfolio and have money in cash in case things go really wrong. I like two years. Some people like to be a little bit more conservative and say three, but I mean really wrong, like minus 25 or minus 30%. Because that you're right. That is the big struggle. When you start taking money out of your portfolio and the market's going down, you're kind of yeah. getting a double whammy there. So what we, we, we advise people to do is pick a number. So you retire with a million dollars. You're going to have $50,000 a year coming out. So you're going to have $100,000 sitting in cash. That means 900000 is invested. Of that 900, maybe your number is uh, minus 25%. So if it goes down more than 25%, so you figure out what that number is, 25% of 900,000 is 225. I would say if your portfolio hits 675 plus the cash, so 775, it's time to start drawing from the cash until you run out. Statistically, that gives you enough time to wait for it to go down and back up again and back to even money. But the problem is most people can't sustain that. Most people get antsy. You know, if your million dollars turns into 800,000, all of a sudden people are like, wait a second, what's happening? You're down $200,000. That's a ton of money. Yeah. And that's the exact worst time to make a decision with your investments, right? It's, it's already happened. The down already happened at that point. So you have to have the plan going into it first. I hear you talk about a lot of money going into cash. Why wouldn't you put part of that cash money in very conservative bonds instead? Uh, same, same. You know, whatever. I think it's the grand total amount that that that, that matters most. If it's liquid and it's going to have little to no volatility and you want to put it in treasuries, that's fine. The problem is, is that even with, you know, even with the 10-year treasury right now, that that was uh, one point, uh, I don't know, what number did I see? 1.6 maybe, something like that. 1.6, 1.5, uh, yeah. not too long yeah. ago. I saw 2.2, not too recently also. So you think, well, you know, that's not that big of a deal, but a 0.7% change in yield is going to have an impact in the in the valuation of that bond fund. So the closer you are to, you know, break even that mar- if you don't have any margin of safety, if you're like, I, this has to exactly work out right for me or I'm screwed, then I think you don't have a lot of flexibility. It needs to be in cash. If, if you've got a lot of margin of safety, then yeah, if it goes down a little bit, so be it. Yeah. And even when treasuries do well, the, the amount of money you're going to capture 
versus the additional risk you take for the up down doesn't might not really seem worth it. Yeah, I mean, cash right now I know is not paying right. So half a percent on cash versus versus um, you know call it two percent in ten years. So you're 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 missing out on one point five percent a year on a hundred thousand dollars. So you know in our previous example, so yeah, yeah. you're missing out on fifteen hundred bucks a year. It's not zero, but you have to weigh that against the cost. Yeah. Mary Beth writing about taxes. We talked about investing, but the bigger thing we talked about was this life change, right? Yeah. And no matter when you have a life change coming, I think it really is time to take out the entire plan and reevaluate the plan and go, okay, are these things still important? So, cause I know, man, when my kids went to college, life changed for Cheryl and I, like it changed big time. And it was, uh, my expenses changed uh, a ton I figured out that my son can out eat any budget can totally. I'm finding uh, that with my uh, freshman, nearly sophomore as well. So yeah, all of a sudden I got money. I'm like, what happened? Oh, I don't have to pay Albertson so much money anymore. <laughs> it's it's crazy how that works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so then university of Texas, if they had, well, stuff. I mean, you think about it this way, the people who are successful financially going into retirement did something right their entire life, which was, they deferred gratification and were successful at hiding money from themselves. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could say saved or were good investors or whatever. They just took money from themselves and put it away for a long time. You know, you, you don't get to be a great successful investor without having done that activity for a really long time. So, so now you're talking about, okay, now you just got done working. Now you have to do the exact thing that you've not done for the last 35 years, which has turned into a spender. You have to go from saving money and deferring gratification to now consuming it and being okay with that consumption. I'm not, I don't mean consuming it in the sense of, you know, go buy a Ferrari. I mean, you know, you got to buy groceries like your example, you know, but that's still, you're still seeing a withdrawal from your investment portfolio that for 35 or 40 years, you did nothing of the sort. You only put money in and now you're turning into a spender. It's a weird conversion. But it definitely, people wonder, like, when's the time that I reevaluate my plan? I feel like there's these milestones in everybody's life. We either make a big purchase, we have a, a big change at work. My example earlier, kids go to college. Mary Beth's example, we were a new retiree, right? Now we got to figure out our tax withholding. I wouldn't just figure out your tax withholding when you get there. I would reboot everything. I'd go, okay, this is a great time to, I mean, if you're going to take, you get to take an hour to look at your tax withholding OG, why not take two hours and look at the entire plan with whoever you're planning with? Well, and I know she was talking about you're used to having that money withheld out of your paycheck and all that sort of stuff. You can do that automatically. The IRS would be more than happy to accept a monthly deposit from you, you know, via ACH, <laughs> you know, and if you're taking money from your pension or from social security or from your investment accounts, you can automatically set up a, a distribution amount, not only to you, but to the government also, so that you don't have quarterly payments to worry about or or that surprise tax bill at the end of the year. So a uh, little bit of work up front to your point, but I think you can make the experience very similar to what you have been experiencing throughout your working life. Hey, time for our TikTok minute. This is where we take a look at a TikTok creator doing something brilliant. And sometimes brilliant is in air quotes and other times it is brilliant. So which one we got today, OG? We got brilliance or, you know, brilliance. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I got to interject here because for like the last 30 episodes, OG says it's going to be brilliant. And I don't think a single one of them, actually, we had the teacher 
We had the teacher who did that. The teacher was phenomenal. Was, okay. So OG's oh, like the kid one... with the laugh. Remember the kid with the laugh? Yeah, but that's not brilliant. It was just cute. But I mean, OG's like one for 29. He says brilliant every time and they're never. Well, let's see. Not let's brilliant. see if we break. Okay. Break the streak. OG's going brilliant, but you're going brilliant. I'm, I'm going totally not brilliant. If by not brilliant, you mean brilliant. I think you're you're onto something. Okay. Five things about finance you didn't learn in school. Number one, that you're not supposed to save your money in the bank. Banks are not meant for storage. They are meant for transactions, for paying your bills, your rent, that sort of thing. Number two, what compound interest is. Compound interest is just interest on top of interest. Number three, what rule 72 is. Divide 72 by any rate of return you're making, and it will give you the estimated number of years required to double your invested money. Number four, what the 24-10 rule is. The 20% should be the down payment of the car purchase price. You should only finance the car for four years and your total monthly vehicle expenses shouldn't be more than 10% of your income. Number five with the 50-30-20 rule is, the goal should be to live within 50% of your monthly income, 30% should go towards enjoyment and lifestyle, and 20% should go towards saving and investing. That's Martika Trushan on TikTok with five little rules. Do you think people need to know those those last two rules? The- oh, it sounded like uh, Peyton Manning calling a football play. 50, 30, 20, <laughs> Omaha, 19, Omaha. 41, 11. Is that hot? Yeah, do we need to know those rules? The 50, 30, 20? How about my preference is figure out how much money you need to save to reach the goals that you want to reach and then have fun spending the rest of it. That's crazy talk. Why would I? That's the Paula Pant budget, I believe. Why would I do that. something specific with Pacific. my money? It's the ocean. Pacific. Sorry. Again, I screw that up every time. Why would I not do something Pacific and instead uh, use a rule of thumb? Like, of course I need to use a rule of thumb. You should go to the library, Joe, and look, get a dictionary. Get some milk. To learn how to, yeah, and drink some milk on the way. You don't say the hell. God. The other thing that drives me crazy, do you remember Dean, our sound engineer? Yes. Who's over there in the corner that we, that we always forget about yeah, him? Yeah, sound guy. He says measure. He measures things. My dad washes the dishes. Is your dad from Baltimore? There's an R. W A R S I F. My grandparents and my dad did that. I washed Why are them. you not to say that? Are, are, are you supposed to not say the R of Baltimore? Is that the deal? <laughs> Is it Baltimore? Did your dad grow up washing his clothes in the crick? Oh, yeah. He, yes. yes actually, absolutely. Yes. He did. <laughs> yes. He does say crick as well. Yes. Yes. It's, it's crick, not creek. Yeah. Well, supposedly, we're going to uh, finish up the rest of. <laughs> this episode <laughs> oh that was so well done <laughs> it was till you pointed it out oh, when you sorry. pointed out it's no longer well done is it like oh that's brilliant i don't know no, his humor is so subtle that most people listening have no idea that he's trying to be funny at all so i feel like that's i've got am funny i've got to point it out am oh, just, just, no try okay so what's the bead of sweat on your forehead right now for Okay, people are wondering when we're going to get to these rules. No, they're not. I I just don't like using rules of thumb. OG, don't get me wrong; these yeah. are these are fine rules, but it's so much better to be specific and make your own point. And we're back. Coming up next, Stephen M. R. Covey is going to be here. People that are longtime fans of this show know that I quote his dad a bajillion times an episode. I feel like I feel like I got to hand his son here ten bucks for for letting me royalties. 
Yeah, royalties to the family. Of course, uh, uh, Stephen Covey, just a brilliant man. His son, also a brilliant man, with a great book that people love called The Speed of Trust that was a bestseller. And now he's back with Trust and Inspire. Can't wait to talk to him about Trust and Inspire. And Doug, you seem pretty excited about this topic. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Today, we're talking about trusts with Stephen M. R. Covey, and I cannot wait for that discussion. Nothing I like better than 20 minutes of radio about a fiduciary arrangement which allows a third party or trustee to hold assets on behalf of a beneficiary. I mean, scintillating. I don't want to steal all of Covey's thunder, but trusts are often created with a will, which is how someone becomes a trust fund baby, a status I've always aspired to. So my question is, when you do have a will, how many people have to witness the signing? I'll be right back with the answer after I check how my parents are feeling. Hey, Staggers, it's Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get 
why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30 day free trial to try it out. Like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30 day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30 day free trial. stackers on trust shunned man baby joe's mom's neighbor doug according to investopedia a will is a legal document that spells out how you want your affairs handled and assets distributed after you die and according to joe this is not at all what we're talking about with stephen covey but i'm down the road so let's just keep on walking A trust is a fiduciary arrangement whereby a trustor gives a trustee the right to hold and manage assets for the benefit of a pacific purpose or person, like when I leave my bike at Joe's house and tell him he can ride it, but not to pop wheelies. So when you get your will done, how many people have to witness the signing of it? The answer is... Dose. And now, here to... Wait, what? Wait a minute, so we're not talking about financial trusts? Oh, the other, you mean like trust with no S at the end? Oh, okay, you know, I suppose that's a good topic too. All right, I guess we're actually here today to talk about trust in general, no death involved. Uh, And here to help us with that is Stephen M.R. Covey. And coming down the stairs to mom's basement, it's my new friend, Stephen M. R. Covey. How are you? Hey, Joe, I'm doing great. And it's fun to come down those stairs. <laughs> it is a little sketchy, isn't it? It is a little sketchy. I will <laughs> admit that. But you know, you don't get into podcasting, Stephen, for the money. You get in for the inspiration because I get to talk to people like you, which is is awesome. I want to ask you first about uh, about Death Valley. And I was just there for the first time two years ago during covid We went to explore national parks and I really didn't want to go. I was like, there's a reason it's called Death Valley, right? (laughs) But have you ever been to Death Valley? I have driven through it. Yeah. One time, but I didn't spend any time there, obviously, but did drive through it. Yeah. And it's dry. It is barren. It is so dry. And you don't want to get stuck after whenever we traveled, it was always before 10 a.m., you know, because after 10 a.m., the, the the temperature was so high, it was horrible. But you have this wonderful story about Death Valley and rain, and I think that's a great place to start off. Do you mind telling everybody that story? Yeah, absolutely. See, the reason it's called Death Valley is because it's so hot and so dry, and because of that, nothing grows there. One to two inches a year is the average rainfall. A year. There was one period of like three and a half years where only a half an inch of rain fell. So, Nothing grows because it's so dry, so hot. It's also the hottest place on earth. At least it's recorded the highest temperature, 134 degrees. So because of that, nothing grows. Now, a few years ago, I think it was the winter of 2005, for some unexplained reason, six inches of rain fell in a very short period of time. And more rain than it had in years. So suddenly, just a few months later in that spring, up popped up these wildflowers everywhere. It carpeted the entire valley. 
it turns out that it wasn't dead after all. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, the, as the late, great Sir Kenneth Robinson said, maybe it should be called Dormant Valley, <laughs> not Death Valley, because the seeds were there all along. They just needed to be cultivated, to be nurtured, to be nourished with the rain. And when the rain came, the seeds grew and the flowers came out. And it's a great metaphor for leadership and for life that the, there are seeds everywhere in people, that the life is in the seed. The power is in the seed. Our job as a leader is to try to create the conditions for the seed to flourish, to blossom. But we don't have the life and the power. It's in the seed. And so we need to create the conditions for it and bring the rain and bring, bring the sunshine, bring the things that will make the seed flourish. And that's what happened. And it's a great metaphor for people and potential for people. And that your job as a leader is a gardener, not a mechanic. Well, it's funny. I feel like that's kind of our job today is to be a gardener with our listeners, Stephen, because there's a lot of people who are listening to this that are already thinking, oh, they're going to talk leadership. I'm checking out. But you make a point very early on that, that even if you're not in a position of leadership at work, you still are a leader. Absolutely. Everyone is a leader. Leadership is a choice, not a position. So you can lead yourself. You can lead your life. In fact, I would say this whole idea, Stacking Benjamins, this is a leadership approach to saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge. I'm responsible for my life and my financial situation. And when I take that responsibility and lead myself that way, I'll get better outcomes, better results, and, and I'll improve my economic situation and my personal life. That's leadership. And you're leading your home, you're leading your community. So leadership is a choice, not a position. We've too often equated it with some management job and that's management, but I'm talking leadership. And it's how we view ourselves and it's just taking charge of our lives, which is very much what this show's about. I want to dive into, before we get into some specifics of your message about why your message of change is so important right now. I took a class recently through MIT Online about social media what I learned was not to fight against the current, right? There's a current that is flowing mm -hmm. a certain way and you need to be in that current. Often we don't want to be, but Hey, this is where the current is. And you lay down five things that are the current, the way you see them today in the world in in either the marketplace or in our workplace. And the first thing you say is the nature of the world has changed. You, you really can't be a know-it-all information now is a commodity, Stephen. I think that's what you're, you're pointing to. Absolutely. It's, it's impossible to know everything today because it changes within, they say information now doubles within a day, you know, whereas before it took a century, there's just so much, we can't know everything. So learning how to learn is more important than trying to know everything. And, uh, but the very nature of the world is radically different because of technology and the pace of change, the amount of change, the type of change, disruptive technologies is changing everything. And so it's just a completely different world where learning is more important than knowing. So we can constantly learn and relearn and re-educate ourselves in this changing world to stay relevant. Which is super powerful. I mean, thinking about having a system of how we learn, I think is such an important message, which leads me to the second thing you say, which is an epic change. The nature of the work has changed. How has the nature of work changed? It's become far more collaborative, far more interdependent, far more knowledge work. Now we still have 
traditional manufacturing and industrial age type work. But even then, there's more knowledge being put into it and into the systems and the processes. And so it's more knowledge-based and human than ever before, even with machines entering into the equation. And so in the new world of collaborative, interdependent knowledge work, that's a sea change from the traditional kind of old school industrial age economy that we, we are growing out of. It's a whole new world of work. And that new world of work requires a new way of thinking about it and leading in it. Well, absolutely. I mean, I got three more of these to go, but immediately as you're talking, I think if the world's more collaborative, managing things like you talk about becomes a little less important and instead learning how to interface with people becomes much more important. Absolutely. In fact, it's critical that we distinguish the two. We want to manage things and lead people. And there's nothing wrong with managing things, processes, objects, you know, inventories, schedules. That's good. Manage that. Things don't have autonomy. People do. They have choices, options, autonomy. They have creativity. And the danger comes when we start to manage people as if they were things. And the thing is, people don't want to be managed. People want to be led. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. I'm all in favor of good management of things, but we need leadership of people. But we live in a world right now that is overmanaged and underled. We need more leadership of people. I was just thinking that as you're talking, I'm betting that with the number of people that get that core concept wrong, the great resignation that still is going on is not a surprise to you, I would think, at all. It's really not. It's just kind of accelerated coming out of this pandemic with um, the fact that now suddenly the workplace, you got options, you got choices of working from home, working from anywhere. And suddenly there's more options than ever before, really fast. That came on us fast, but we're all always trending towards this, drifting towards this, where, where when too many organizations, they treat their people like things. And um, again, they might be benevolent and kind, but, but they're not tapping into their great creativity. They're just trying to motivate, not inspire or they don't show caring, or they don't trust them, they're trying to control them, all these things. That's no fun to work in that environment. There's no energy, no joy to be part of a low-trust team, a low-trust culture. It's exhausting. And, and so when people now have choices and options to maybe do something different and maybe even live where I want to live and work somewhere else, an option they didn't have before, it's kind of like, why do I want to be with a company that doesn't believe in me yeah. or that doesn't let me do my thing or, or use my talents? I have so much more to offer. And so it's no surprise at all that we're seeing the great resignation and a great reshuffling because people have these choices and options. And when they're not treated well, and that's not just the idea of only money. It's also, you know, is my company tapping into my mind and into my desire to make a difference and a contribution, as well as connecting with me through my heart. If I'm not getting all those needs met, I'll go find a place where I am. If I don't feel trusted, I'll go find a place where someone does trust me. There's a sadness there that you bring up very early in the book that early on you and your father would speak together and he would ask questions of audience. He's asked these two questions and question number one was around, are you being asked to do more with less? Not, actually, that was question two. I think question one 
uh, was around, do you have more to give? Is there a lot more that you can give? And everybody raised their hand. They could do more. And yet question two was, are we being asked to do more with less? You write. What's sad is, is that that shows how much we're not tapping into our workforce and we feel totally uninspired. Totally. And it's our own doing because people have it within them. You're exactly right. That, that first question was basically this, how many of you believe that the vast majority of the workforce has far more talent, creativity, ingenuity, intelligence, and ability than their present jobs require or even allow them to contribute? And almost every hand in the room would go up when you ask that question. Everyone has a lot more to give a lot more they, they could offer. And yet the second question is, I've also got to do more with less. Right. And yet I'm not allowed to give what I have. Right. What a talk about a gap. You know, it's like, duh, you know, look at this. Why not? Why aren't we tapping in to this? Why isn't our style of leadership tapping into people's talent and their creativity and their potential? Instead of trying to contain and control them, let's unleash them. And because we have these big gaps and yet people have so much more to give. And when you have more to give and you're not able to give it, you, you find your satisfaction outside of your work yeah, or you go find another place to work. What if as a leader, as an organization, you, you try to tap into that talent and you have someone that's the gardener and they're cultivating and, and, uh, and you see that talent flourishing. That's exciting. That's a place you want to work. And you can be that kind of leader for others and others can be that kind of leader for you. So it's a beautiful reciprocal process. I got excited when you were writing that. Well, I wasn't there when you were writing that. I was reading and I was yeah. speeding up reading about how much is inside of us, how much potential and how cool that is and how awesome. And I feel like our little basement gang at uh, Stacky Benjamin's making this podcast. I've, I've always felt like we get it right. And yet reading that, I felt like there's so much inside of those of us that make this show. I'm like, we, we all have so, we all have so, so much to give and we don't tap into, into hardly any of it, which is by the way, that your next point, which is the nature of the workplace is change. But you talk about next, how the nature of the workforce has changed. What does that mean? Just the amount of diversity. It's never been greater than five generations at work. We've always had generations at work, but the different mindsets and expectations of the different generations is increasing. I mean, you look at the millennials and Gen Z, you know, they start from the premise that trust is given. Now, some of the traditionalists and baby boomers start from the premise that trust is earned. earned. Right. Yeah. You know what? Who's right? They're both right. <laughs> trust is earned, but it's also given. If I go in with, uh, with Gen Z and millennials with the premise of, look, I can't trust you until you prove to me that I can I'm not going to, I'm not going to inspire them. I'm not going to keep them. They want purpose. They want to be part of something and meaning and contribution. And so there's just such diversity that more than ever before that we need to tap into. And it's not a one size fits all. That's why a command and control approach to people that way is not going to work with all these generations, especially with the younger generations. They want to be led differently. They're not going to take this 
command and control style. It doesn't work anymore. We spoke earlier about how the, the your fifth one on here, the nature of choice has really changed. So that that is the fifth epic change. But give me an idea, Stephen, but I would love for you to share one story of a company you think that's really getting it right. The idea of let's get rid of command and control and instead trust and inspire. Can you tell us a narrative of somebody that's really nailing it? Yeah. I'll tell you one that everyone will know. It's Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're a behemoth. You think, well, gosh, they're a huge company. Well, you think about it. When their CEO, Satya Nadella, first came in to Microsoft, this is like seven years ago now, they were on, they were somewhat fading into less and less relevance. And they were still big because they had all that market share, but they were no longer the cool place to work. They were losing people left and right. It was not seen as, you know, the cool place in Silicon, you know, the technology companies. Well, and by the way, just, yeah. And Steven, just as an aside, back when I haven't been a financial planner a long time, but when I was, I worked with a bunch of people that worked at Microsoft and I can tell you Mm -hmm. a little bit back then about the culture. My son works there now. And, and I had clients that worked there before. And the place my son works is totally different than the place that my clients work. My clients really worked in a backstabbing, let's, let's try to uh, beat each other up to get ahead uh, feel. A lot of my clients would get nervous about work and about the quality of their work and whether they'd even have a job tomorrow. And Microsoft was known as a company that didn't play nicely with other products, with other things. And now you look at their browser is on the back of Google's browser, the Xbox, you can play on other systems and other places, no matter where you are. It's, it's weird how much it's changed since before. Absolutely. And they really, in effect, went from a style that you might call command and control yeah. prior to now that it's trust and inspire. And Nadella led it. He modeled the behavior he wanted. He trusted his people and he inspired them. He connected them to purpose and he cared about people. And they built that into the culture This idea, they called it manage and coach and care. You know, that's model, trust, and inspire. But you're exactly right. It changed. They used to be quite um, competitive internally, not just competitive, but backstabbing. Yeah. But, you know, just just really, really, uh, you know, to to win at Microsoft, you had to take someone else down. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. Two, now they are collaborating and innovating in new and different ways. And they're winning in the workplace. They build a great culture again. So they're attracting, keeping the best people. They want to be part of this. It's exciting because they're collaborating and they're innovating again. And they're relevant in a changing world. And also, by the way, their stock price has increased 10 times <laughs> during this span. Where it did, so they it did the nothing. <laughs> it did nothing before that, by the way, when they were backstabby. Yeah, it was flat. Yeah, stock did nothing. Yeah. Everybody yeah, so won. completely revitalized through leadership style. Becoming trust and inspire instead of command and control. It unleashed their capabilities and potential. And I bet your son could, you know, he sees that. They're, pre- they're not perfect, yeah. but it's a pretty exciting place to work, doing exciting things. It is a fun place for him to go to work every day. He was so excited to start there and loves every day. Well, not every day, as you know, but loves the project he's yeah. working on and does <laughs> feel like he's trusted to do his job. I want to end our time together by giving people some tactics to become better leaders, to become more trusting. And I want to do this based on a story that your dad told a long time ago, and you recounted in this book, which is when you helped him green and clean with your lawn. (laughs) And green and clean was one of my favorite stories that your dad told, and I was so glad that you told it again. But let me give everybody just the the kind of synopsis, if you don't mind. Your dad trusted you 
to help him with the yard. You took control of the yard. He asked you if you wanted to do it. You said yes. He showed you. He modeled what to do. And then Mm -hmm. you did absolutely nothing. (laughs) You, (laughs) You did. You did zero. And as I'm reading that. And and this happens all the time in leadership, right? You'll show somebody how to do it. You feel like as a leader, you point them in the right way. You feel like you hand them everything to do. You trust them. And then they're across the street playing football like you were metaphorically. (laughs) I read this and I immediately go, well, that's when I'm going to go back in and I'm going to reassert dominance or I'm going to tell them, nope, you're working on this right now, son. You're working on the yard right now. Your dad didn't do that, but what's the, what's the tactic and and managers everywhere get so frustrated when you feel like you give people all the tools, Steven, then they do what you did. They do nothing with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, Joe, in my defense, I was only seven years old when I started. So, <laughs> so back off. Pal. That's my side of the story. <laughs> so, that's my side of it. And I, I'm sticking to it. No, no, I'll tell you what. I did nothing at first because I was a seven-year-old boy out playing football across the street. But I'll tell you what, what my dad did and what any person can do, any leader, um, any teammate, is if you build the agreement up front, and that's what he did. He, he trained me for two weeks on how to take care of the lawn. This is back in the days before automatic sprinklers. So, <laughs> you know, it was a big deal. And so he built the agreement. He trained me. I want the lawn to be green and clean. Those are results-oriented words, the outcomes. And then he said, now how you do it is up to you. But then he built accountability into it by saying that I want you to judge yourself against the standard of green and clean. But let's do this. Let's walk around the yard once a week and you can tell me how you're doing against your accountability. So we built an agreement. So when, when I did nothing at first, he didn't just take the job back from me, you know, swing back to the other side saying, hey, I tried trusting it didn't work. No, yeah. I'll just take it back. Instead, he, he, he stayed with the agreement. And the agreement was, let's walk around the yard once a week. And we started to do that. We started to walk around the yard. And I knew, my dad didn't need to say a word. I knew that the yard was not green and not clean. You started <laughs> crying. I've been doing the work. That's right. And I started to, I started to break down and said, this is hard. I hadn't done anything, but what was hard was me to learn to take responsibility. I started to say, well, dad, will you help me? He said, yeah, what was our agreement? I said, you told me you'd help me if you had time. He goes, that's right. And I said, do you have time? He goes, I got time. So I went in and I got some sacks, you know, and I came out. I said, dad, will you take this sack? Go pick up that garbage over there. And then he started to do what I asked him to do. And I, and I realized this is my job, not his. I'm actually directing my dad. And he's doing what I'm asking. And from that moment, I suddenly became responsible and I owned it. And I realized this is my job and I'm responsible for this. And I rose to the occasion and I took care of the yard and it was green. It was clean. But my dad uses this to talk about a win-win performance agreement in seven habits. For me, I felt trusted. I felt inspired. And we built an agreement. It was the, the key tip I have for people is build an agreement around expectations and accountability so that the agreement governs. That way you don't have to hover over and micromanage someone. You built an agreement that they're responsible to. And in this case, it was the yard would be green and clean. And we'd walk around once a week and I would report on how I'm doing against that standard of green and clean. So I was judging myself and that made me feel ownership 
But for my dad, there was a sense of there's control built into this because we built an agreement. And that's what's fearful is I, if you might feel like, hey, if I trust someone, what if, what if they don't deliver? Yeah. And I'm held responsible. So build the agreement of expectations and accountability. And what will surprise you, Joe, is how people will actually rise to the occasion and perform better and even maybe come up with new approaches that are better than you ever would have on your own. I will tell you as a guy who tries to live this with my team, it is very hard up front. But when I get this right, Stephen, when I get your approach correct, it pays these dividends that are far beyond, far beyond anything that you could imagine. Absolutely. And I like how you said it, Joe. It takes some time and effort up front. So in a sense, at first you're going slow. Whereas with command and control, you feel like you just go fast and just dictate. But by going slow, you're creating buy-in. You're getting commitment. You're involving you're getting clarity around expectations and accountability. And then once you do that, because you went slow up front, then you can go fast afterwards. And when you do the other and try to just dictate, do this, do that, and just command, command and control, you might feel like you're going fast, but in the long run, when change happens and all these forces come in, people move slow because they don't trust you or they leave and they go somewhere else. You, you end up going slow. So I like to put it this way, with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. In other words, you do what you just described, Joe. You go slow up front and pay the price, create the agreement. Yeah, it will take a little bit of time, but then you will move exceptionally fast. Nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. The book is called Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. I have been on my own book tour, Stephen, which means I see your book at every airport, <laughs> but it's not just available at airport. It's available everywhere. Correct? Absolutely. Available everywhere. Amazon, marginsandnova.com, all kinds of bookstores. And you can go to trustandinspire.com. Trustandinspire.com has got some resources, tools there. Could be helpful for our listeners. Viewers. Beautiful. Stephen, thank you so much for not just this. Thank you so much for your work. And it's just truly transformational and I love you could geek out with us for a few minutes in mom's basement chatting about it. Well, I love being in mom's basement, Joe. And I love this. Yes. To be on stacking Benjamins, admire you, your show, what you're doing, the good you're doing to really unleash greatness in our listeners and viewers everywhere. Hey, this is Jen Pilcher, Navy spouse of 23 years. And when I'm not helping military spouses connect in our digital community, I'm stacking Benjamins. Such an honor to speak to him. OG. You know, one of my favorite books is the, is the Marine Corps book of strategy. And what I like about it is this idea of decentralized leadership. Like when you tried it as Stephen Covey, and I know that he didn't use the military analogy, but when you try to just command and control everything, innovation goes away. People aren't excited to be around. I mean, in, inspire your people. I love that message. Well, and give them the opportunity to succeed and to fail, right? And say, here's what I want to have done and figure out the best way to do it. And like he said, the fact that you do that means it's going to be a little bit harder road at the beginning. But imagine if you trust people to fail a few times and trust that they will learn from those mm -hmm. failures, they're going to succeed well beyond anything that you could have imagined later on. Right. Sure. Good stuff. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first. What I value most, uh, it's got to be my time, Joe. 
That's what I value the most. It is your loved ones and your time. No, I don't really care about them. No. That's why they'll always be there. No matter what I do or say about them, they're never going anywhere because they love me. And why wouldn't they? So like, I'm good. I just, it's just time. That might be taking advantage of some relationships there. It's actually that you can uh, spend more time, maybe harassing your loved ones like you love to, but that's why they've made getting your life insurance done. Actually simple. I just benjamins.com slash Haven life. Now to get a free quote, their application, it's simple. It's all online. You'll get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, which is more than 160 years old. Do I have to include my loved ones in all of that? Because I don't like they don't need to be part of all of those savings. And you truly don't have to make them the beneficiary if you don't want, but they do have to have, don't they? OG, some uh, reason for being your beneficiary. Like you just can't have some uh, rando person as your beneficiary, can you? Sure can. Well, how about that? Well, stepping up, Doug, let's change that paperwork. Because I would be so happy to be your beneficiary. You want to get all 75 cents or can I split it up between you and OG? Doug just found out that Haven Life won't do a 75 cent policy, a premium of 2.5 cents per month. Uh, Today, we got a great question from Sasha. Say hi, Sasha. Hi, Joe and OG. I'm looking for an opinion without teaching me anything, of course. I have a business question for you. My husband and I are thinking of taking over his parents' business. They have a machine tool and fabrication business that they started about 15 years ago. They employ about eight people. It's not huge, but it does well. It's valued at about 800000 His parents don't have any debt or mortgage due in the business. We're not sure how to change owners. I'm not sure we could get a loan for 800000 or if we even want that much debt if we were to buy it from them. His parents are thinking of just giving us the business, with the only caveat being when we eventually sell it, we'd have to pay about 200000 to each of his two brothers. We don't mind having to pay the two brothers, but I feel if they gift us the business, we'd eventually have a lot to pay in taxes. What are your ideas for the best way to acquire this business? couple side notes. My husband's other two brothers do not want the business. They have completely different careers, so there's no argument there. His parents just want to keep all things equal for when they pass away. My husband and I are debt-free for about 10 years left to pay on a modest mortgage for our home. We're both in our mid-40s and have saved about over just over a million in retirement. We have three kids, ages 10, 13, and 15, uh, that keep us very busy. This would be my husband's new career uh, because I work as a nurse. Of course, we will talk with lawyers and tax professionals, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much, Sasha in Minnesota. Sasha, I hope to see you, Minnesota, when we come there. Thanks for the question. By the way, if you want to find out when we're coming to Minnesota, stackingbenjamins.com slash stacked is where you'll find all the tour dates. But Sasha, with a big business planning question, OG, how do they take over the business? I think she's right in that if you just get gifted the value, you know, you have to put some some valuation on that. Mm-hmm. And if your cost associated with it is zero, then when you turn around and sell it in the future, if you're able to sell it in the future, then, you know, that's all gained for you. Just like if you someone gifts you a uh, share of Apple. So you do have to be careful of that. Feel like there's not any baggage that comes with it, but there's always the weird baggage that comes with it. And what I mean by that is, you know, if they give you the business and mom and dad are successfully retired now, but you haven't really, for lack of a better term, earned it, you haven't paid for it, 
you might be surprised if dad shows up one day and says, why did you paint the wall green? You know, I think we should paint it blue. And he still kind of sort of has some say in the fact, you know, I would much rather see an arrangement uh, over a period of time, whether it's a, a down payment of some kind, you said you don't want to get a big loan, but, but the bank may be able to finance some of it. A personal loan, you know, just that says, hey, we're going to pay you out over this period of time. And it doesn't have to be an egregious rate of return or an interest rate. The IRS stipulates what those rates need to be for it to be legal. And uh, your tax and, and accounting team will be able to help you with that. But um, but I would much rather see it be a very clean, like, here's the, you know, we're buying this from you. There's no back-end animosity coming, you know, if I decide to change directions or outright sell it, or we change from a machine and tool shop to a printing shop and a bakery, I don't have to listen to it at Christmas time because it's still, it's my business now. I can do with it as I please. And uh, I think that'll be a lot cleaner. Plus then, you know, mom and dad want to give some money to the other siblings. They can easy peasy. Do you then, if, if the parents want to be equitable to everybody, do you then have the business valuated? Do you get a business valuation from an expert so that everybody's above board uh, ahead of time? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it really has to be. And there's generally, and, and a business valuation expert will be able to kind of discount it for that family price, right? If you sell internally your business, there's generally some sort of a discount that's provided to the buyer because of the fact that it's an easier transition, right? If mom and dad just listed this on the open market, there's a lot more disclosure. There's a lot more people in and out of the place and, you know, a lot more negotiation. And so the ease of operations of selling it to a family member or a close employee quite often warrants a little bit of a discount. But um, but yeah, I, w- I would definitely not take uh, mom and dad's word for it. That's worth 800 yeah. grand. So I want to chime in on this. Uh, and if we want to cut this out, we can, Joe. But okay, good. Hope we do. Please, God. <laughs> Carry on. God, you're Also true. This is almost the identical scenario to how my dad sold his business. I mean, tool and die shop, eight employees, it was weird listening to her question because it was spot on, although we didn't sell it to a family member. But here's how he did sell it so that there was some reasonable valuation of the business. The initial price that was paid was based only on assets, which was about half the amount. And then the rest of it, he got paid in consulting fees on a monthly basis. So he yeah. had cash flow for a number of years out into the future. And I wondered about that here because it occurred to me half of 800, 400, 200 each goes to the siblings maybe right away. And then the remainder of whatever value they come up with is what mom and dad want or need from a monthly standpoint to pay out in consulting fees. So you have it just a, gives them a cash flow, a recurring cash flow right. over time. That's like a pension fund coming from Sasha and and her husband. Exactly. So and you, and that just the, the value was not based on future sales or, you know, existing outstanding liabilities or assets or any of any of that. It's just how much is the machinery worth and existing inventory and then that's the valuation. Yeah, the structure of the deal 
is really important because that's also going to be how the taxation is. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're writing a check for somebody for consulting, you're going to pay them ten ninety nine. They're going to pay full income taxes. You get full deductibility. If you're buying an asset like a machine, CNC machine, then that machine is going to be depreciable over a long period of time. So that's a whole different tax structure. But that also goes into the valuation, right? If you are taking all of your buyout as 1099, where I get to deduct it, you're going to get a higher number because you have to pay the taxes on it and I get to write it off. If you're taking it all as capital asset sale, then then you get a lower amount because you get cap gains taxes and I have to depreciate it over the next, uh, you know, whatever, 15 years. So that's where I think, you know, having that team of people around you, the valuation person, attorneys and accountants to help structure this will be really important. But but the idea, I think, overall, and Doug, you didn't say it in as many words, but having some sort of formal sale is, is I think, the better outcome here rather than, yeah. you know, mom and dad kind of sort of gave it to me on condition that eventually someday I write a check to these people Yeah, later. that's danger. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Yeah. Yep. Make it clean. Hey, uh, Sasha, two great resources, one for when you are dealing with the sale, a guy named John Warlow, who, oh, gee, I know you really like John's work. Yeah. Uh, I also like John's work a ton. He has a podcast called Built to Sell. He has a couple books on this whole topic that you're talking about. So if you want a deeper dive, which I think you should, John is both informative and entertaining. So, uh, And it looks like John Warillo, almost like, you know, Norfolk. You don't, uh, <laughs> you don't pronounce it Norfolk. You don't pronounce Warillo, Warillo. It's uh, Warlow. Anyway, look for John's built uh, to sell, and he's got a great podcast. Yeah, all of John's stuff. Can I predict the second book? Can I predict what you're going to say? It's called the E Myth. Yes, God, absolutely, Joe. You have sold more copies of that book than anybody else <laughs> on their team. True. My God, you recommend that book like every fourth episode. That one is Stephen Covey, don't I? <laughs> I mean, it's so great talking to Stephen M. R. Covey today. Uh, but but yes, the E-Myth. Read the E-Myth. If you're going to operate a business for the first time, read the E-Myth. You'll do it completely differently. I'm, I'm sorry, you will. You will. You'll yeah. rethink. Listeners, just insert all of the previous audio you've ever heard Joe talking about <laughs> right here. Did I tell you about my trip to Bavaria? All right, guys, it is time. You know, they say have one call to action at the end of every episode, but because the basement is such a circus, we got a lot of stuff going on this week. Number one is... I'm headed back out on the road, Northeast. I'm coming to see you, Boston. Doug's going to be with us in Boston, New York City, Baltimore, Philly, and Washington, D.C. We're going to be in all those cities coming up. Paula Pant's going to join us. My co-author, Emily Guy Birkin, going to be on that part of the trip. This is going to be a ton of fun. Stackingbenjamins.com slash stacked. But it's not just about hanging out with uh, Doug and Emily and Paula and I. Maybe it's actually about getting your financial house in order. Crazy talk while you are here hanging out with us. You know what? The best idea, get a better team in your corner. OG and his team taking new clients. Head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG so you can dream bigger about your goals and get moving. All right. That's going to be on your team, OG. Sure. Okay. I can help you. If you change that beneficiary, that's the, <laughs> that's the only thing in that contract. All right, Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, listen to Stephen Covey and Stephen M.R. Covey. And, you know, if he has a son, probably Stephen M.R.I. Covey. Building trust is an essential key to getting more done in life and business. 
Second, to be successful with your personal finances, you don't have to know five rules that sound like you're running a complicated NFL offense. You just need to figure out how much you need to save to reach your goals. After that, eh, spend it all on sports cars and giant houses. Right, OG? But the big lesson... It's not my fault trust sounds like uh, trusts. And you need to trust to have a trust so it all makes sense, right? Thanks to Stephen M. R. Covey for joining us today. I'll trust you'll find his book, The Speed of Trust, anywhere you look for it. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022 and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Do we need to wait for the 45 seconds or can Steve just insert it? <laughs> he can insert it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, OG, uh, remember how much fun you guys had laughing at me when I broke my favorite coffee mug and ruined an amazing cup of coffee? Both equal tragedies? I, I don't know that I was laughing. <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> Directly so. at me. You, you couldn't have laughed at me any harder. No, I think you're mistaken. And I was, yeah. I mean, I had coffee all over but the i'm a heck of a guy so immediately i thought it would be a great idea to send you a new fishing coffee mug to buy me a new mug and i did it right yeah, and I, you know the intent was there and i'm sure all everybody listening right now realizes boy he's he's just a big teddy bear inside he's mm -hmm. just yeah I, we know yeah, just a heck of I a guy 
I knew he was a nice guy. I knew it was in there somewhere. Well, dear listener, if you saw what mug showed up at my door, you would realize eh, that's pretty much the OG we expected because he sent me the ugliest coffee mug. This coffee mug is so ugly, it makes the coffee taste worse when it goes in the cup. That's how sure. bad this coffee is. But that's is. not the funny part about all this. Well, the, yeah. The, okay. So the, the, so you break your mug and I think immediately I'm going to send you a new mug in a day and a half. You're going to go, ha, 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 ha. Uh, you guys are a bunch of funny guys, right? So I'm ordering the mug while you're like literally sweeping up the remnants of your broken one. And it was your favorite one, you said. It was. Right? So I was trying to be funny and ironic and just... <laughs> You know, ha, 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 and, ha. And have no taste at the same time. Also, yes, all of those things. And so it's ordered, it's sent. Amazon's going to deliver it in 36 hours to the middle of nowhere, wherever you live. And we start recording. And during the recording, you were trying to find your old mug again, which was like a custom design thing on an Etsy shop. And, and lo and behold, you actually found your old mug and were able to reorder it. Yeah, I mean, I got to do something while you and Joe are blathering on and on about, you know, helping some. Sure. Some- and this is where the funny part starts. So it's been like the better part of a week, and you haven't said anything to me yet about your coffee mug that you got. I'm like, hmm, maybe just didn't, you know, Amazon says it was delivered, but who knows, right? So I casually bring up, hey, did you get something in the mail recently? And then the pieces start coming together. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah then like in in my mind's eye it's like that moment when like there's all the calculus problems like floating in midair and like all of the math starts to come the together limitless, you took your limitless pill yeah i did i took the and i'm like oh well then that's why and the oh so i order the mug within minutes the mug i want within minutes of og ordering me a mug but og's gets here first and i get this mug and it is just heinous just i mean the (laughs) it really is the the handle it looks tries to look like a twig like it's a branch or something it's all bumpy and nasty feels like yeah and 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 like the surface of the mug is tries to be 3d and i think the technical term would be boz relief anyway it's disgusting and i'm looking at this thing thinking how did the the fly fishing shop screw this up this badly because this isn't even a fly fishing mug really well it kind of is but they got that wrong too there's because one little got, trout i think on the side there's a trout oh there's there's a big bumpy nasty old trout there's two trouts act actually two trout but but the fly is like underwater it's a dry fly and it's underwater i'm like no real fly shop would ever carry this mug because it's just it's technically wrong it's aesthetically disgusting it's everything's wrong with this so i Email the guy right away. So you go nuclear on the Etsy shop. I did. I, right away. I can't believe you would pass this off as quality equipment. Right. I'm going to give you a one-star and, review. And and actually, to the credit of uh, who did I, I actually should probably give them props because the guy was right on responding to me. It was uh, the Angling Bookstore. The Angling Bookstore guy, uh, he replies to me right away and says... Oh, wow. That's really weird. Let me look into that. Cause that's, that doesn't sound like us. And, <laughs> and meanwhile, he's going, how the hell did it get to your house so fast? Right. I just put this thing in the mail yesterday. And then, you know, rewind the tape. OG asked me the question and I'm like, 
son of a bitch. <laughs> this is not the month I ordered. It's the n- nasty abomination of a drink holder that OG sends me. And so I've got to email the guy back and say plate full uh, of crow going hey so call off the dogs because you didn't send me the wrong mug this idiot friend of mine did (laughs) and he goes oh and then he replies back again and it's just great when you're having like this you get this direct customer service from the owner of the shop he's being awesome angling bookstore everybody and he's like yeah that because that didn't sound like a mug we even carry and i replied back to him Good, because this is the ugliest mug in the history of the coffee industry, so it's a good thing you're not carrying it. It was just funny watching the uh, the the smoke come out of your ears as the as the gears <laughs> ground to a halt as you're like, "Wait a second, that was you. Oh, I have to unwind some pretty nasty emails. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and we've all been Never there. Never mind me recently. But anyways, so oh. yeah, now this mug is, so now is have two coffee mugs treasured for different reasons. Now it will never co- coffee will never see the inside of this. this oh, you're porcelain. not even drinking out of it. It's just a it's a pencil holder. It is it's a it's going to be a trophy for some fishing buddies. <laughs> That's right. That's like the guy said. that has the worst day on the river is getting this mug because <laughs> like you suck as much as this mug does. <laughs> I love it. All right, I go eat breakfast. I'm hungry. See you, bye. We're out. Bye. Well, it's a new week, and you know your to-do list is just going crazy. You probably have a ton of things to do and not enough time. In fact, who is it? Tony Robbins, who says that we always overestimate what we can do in a week because of our to-do list, but because we don't set long-term goals, we underestimate what we can do in a year or five years or a decade. And by the way, to help you reach those long-term goals, Navy Federal Credit Union can take the legwork out of saving and investing. They offer multiple savings products and investing options to help you get closer to your financial goals. And you can put your money to work by automating your savings and investments. Plus, they offer educational resources to help guide your decisions. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash save and invest. I love saying it like a pirate. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash save and invest savings products insured by ncua investment options are available through navy federal investment services and are not insured by ncua well stackers the show is over but the party is just beginning here you know why because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.